This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. You can find that on page 983 in your Black Pew Bible. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I am really glad that you're here this morning. I want to, we, we as a church started a new series about three weeks ago in Colossians. And so I want to spend the first few minutes of today kind of talking about more of the whys behind this book, why we're in Colossians out of all the different places in the scriptures to go next. I want to talk about our decision to preach through this book. And I have, I have a number of burdens for our church. And many of those burdens are addressed explicitly throughout the book of Colossians. And all the, all the commentators that I've read as I prepared for this series have all hit on one specific reality when it comes to the book of Colossians. And that is pound for pound, the book of Colossians punches way above its weight, right? This book is dense with theology and Christology. It's crowded with Christian instruction for how to live. It's replete with appeals to let the gospel, let the gospel of Jesus Christ be the most influential teacher in your life. Not these other false teachers, not these other teachings or ideas or ideologies that want to vie for your attention or distract you from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need that kind of focus right now. In Colossians, we have a church that isn't very old. We have people in this church who've already heard the gospel and they've loved it. They've believed the word of truth and yet they're still struggling. They're struggling in a number of ways. There's false teaching and worldly ideas that are competing with the preeminence that Jesus alone deserves and claims. There's a need in this church to see the hearts of the people tightly woven together, closely knit together in love, and all of those realities apply to us today, right now. We need to grow in Christian maturity. We need to see our roots extended down deep so that we can be sturdy 
people so that we're built up and established. We need to be strengthened in our faith. We need to increase our love for one another. We need to see the hope that we have intensified in our hearts. And we're in Colossians because the resounding answer, the main and only and complete answer to those kinds of needs and desires that we have for each other and for this church, the answer to all of those difficulties and realities in our lives is always the same. The answer to those deficiencies or obstacles or struggles that we have is Christ. How do you make a church feel like a family when it consists of a group of people who are very spread apart. How can a group of people like that be united? How do we see this church family grow in biblical maturity? How do we see us steward the kind of spiritual deposit that's been made in this place? How do we live? How do we work? How do we answer the questions and how do we face the challenges that are in front of us? And the answer to every single one of those questions is the same. The answer is Jesus Christ. Which means the call this morning is really straightforward. The challenge and the beauty of this book will be impossible to understand and the exhortations of this book will be impossible to implement If all we're here to do is to play church. You see, the bride of Christ and the family of God isn't a hobby. This isn't a social club or an institution. Jesus isn't an accessory to our identity. He isn't an ornament to our lives. We are in him, orienting everything in our lives around him, or we are lost. And we're in Colossians because all of our goals as a church and all of our hope as a people, all of our plans have the same answer. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Jesus Christ we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone about him pleading with everyone to run to him, telling everyone to open their Bibles and read about him. You close your eyes and meditate on him, glorify him, know him, love him, see him, Jesus Christ. And I'm asking that the Spirit of God would make us mature people because mature people have their powers of discernment trained, the book of Hebrews tells us, their powers of discernment trained to tell the difference between good and evil, to tell the difference between false teaching and right teaching. I'm asking the Spirit of God to knit our hearts together in love so that we would increase in deep brotherly and sisterly affection for one another. And I'm asking that Christ take up more space in our planning more space in our imaginations, more space in our hearts, and that those things would be evident in our actions as a church. You see, there's, there's treasures in the book of Colossians, and we're going to take our time and mine them out by the grace of God and through his spirit. So as we do that today, or we aim, or we try to do that today, I'm going to pray and ask the spirit of God to illuminate the scriptures to us, to open up our hearts, to wake us up to to what he has for us today, to convict us and control us and compel us. Would you all join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that your love, the kind of love that we sang about today, 
that we couldn't write enough about if, if we drained the ocean dry. Thank you that that love isn't fuzzy and fickle sentimentality. Thank you that it's strong and sturdy and efficacious. Thank you that your love changes us. You love us enough to discipline us. You love us enough to let us walk through difficulty. You love us enough to not let us stay in our sin or our immaturity or our arrogance or pride or selfishness. You love us enough to help us break out of those kinds of things. So would you today send your spirit to convict us and to glorify and magnify your son, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul, Paul's prayer and Paul's thanksgiving are woven together. They're woven together constantly. He hears reports of this church. He hears about how they love each other. And then he praises God and thanks God. And he opens our text today by saying, and so, or for this reason, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And the next four verses are the content of Paul's prayer. So today we'll walk through the movements of Paul's prayer for the Colossians and we'll be turning around his prayer onto ourselves and see where it applies to our lives because the prayers and exhortations and instructions for this church are also for us today in 2023. That's the beauty of God's word. So what should we listen to? What should we highlight from the text this morning? And I want to make four statements and talk about and kind of finish and conclude with just two principles for us as a body. Those four statements are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits transformation from the inside out. That's bearing fruit. It comes from the inside out. So walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits transformation from the inside out. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits increasing in the knowledge of God. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits endurance and patience. And walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits joyful gratitude. I don't know what goes through your Mind when you try to think about what walking in a manner worthy of the Lord looks like. And odds are all of us have some diminished version of what that might be. But you might, you might have come from a home that gave you a real clear picture of that. And you might have come from a home that was a Christian home, but they said, they said one thing and they did another. The kind of home where the unspoken house rule is do as I say and not as I do. And you might be asking yourself this morning, like, is, is that what, what people are talking about when they talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Maybe, maybe you think it's about having tidy doctrinal theory or tidy ideas and watertight arguments and sophisticated explanations, but a life divorced from fruit, real gospel fruit in your life. Maybe you come here today and you think that you have to be perfect to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you might be saying to yourself, why even try? Because I know I'm not going to measure up. 
I know I'm going to fail again, for, so, so why even try? Or, or maybe you're not interested in this subject at all because you keep your Christian faith and you keep Jesus at arm's length from anything that has any kind of consequences on the actions in your life. Your Christianity is more of a, a social thing or a personal habit that you truly don't have any good explanation for. Whatever you're tempted to think that walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is, we actually don't have to wonder because Paul gives us some real concrete examples in this text. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord consists of bearing increasing, strengthening, and thanking. And it consists of other things as well. But in these texts, or or in this text today, that's what Paul names for us. And so those are the things I'm going to focus on. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits or evidences real transformation in our lives from the inside out. A life that bears fruit. Remember the gospel, the word of truth is news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. The gospel isn't a life hack and it isn't a list of best practices. It's the proclamation of news news that you have to believe and you have to receive by grace through faith. It implants into your heart and begins to spread and infect all of your internal life, all of your internal reasoning and thinking and affections and devotion. Your affection gets reordered. The values that you live your life by shift and change. Your guilt fades away. The seat of your allegiance is changed and rearranged. No longer do you sit on the throne of your heart, but Jesus sits on the throne of your heart. No longer do you sit on the throne of your own life's direction. Someone else is Lord and you're not. And the gospel, like a seed, takes root and bears fruit. And we read last week that it increases and spreads indeed throughout the whole world. The gospel is news about God and what God has done and what you could never do. And this news, when it's truly received through faith, embeds and takes over the deepest places in your heart. And the heart is where all of our behaviors and all of our actions come from. The truth of your life and the truth about human beings is that we're created to bear fruit. It's in our natures to produce fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit and good trees produce good fruit. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 17 through 23, so every healthy tree bears good fruit. But The diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You see, it isn't the case that Christians bear good fruit and diseased trees don't bear any fruit at all. The human heart is not designed to be fruitless. There's not a neutral position on the table to choose from. You're a tree. 
And you're a tree that produces some kind of fruit already. It comes out of your heart and becomes your actions and your behaviors. Before you knew Jesus, you were a diseased tree. And the only way to get a diseased tree to produce good fruit is for that tree to be transformed into a different kind of tree. That's it. That's the only way. You can't take good fruit, you can't take ripe, good, delicious fruit and glue it on to a rotten tree or nail it or staple it on to a a rotten, diseased tree. It won't work. The water, the sunlight, the soil won't bring forth good fruit from a rotten tree. You have to be completely changed from the inside out. And once that happens, good works, good fruit is what necessarily follows. A life that's worthy of the Lord is a life that's full of good fruit. And that good fruit looks like good works in the Christian's life. Good works cannot save you. And no one is ever saved without the fruit of works. Your right deeds cannot make you righteous before God, but no one is ever made right with God without right deeds following Your good works cannot earn your salvation and your salvation transforms you into a healthy tree that can produce good fruit. Number two, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits increasing in the knowledge of God. Walking in this way means to be constantly growing in the knowledge of God. That's what walking looks like. It reminds me of Deuteronomy 6, 7, where the people of God are given instructions to teach the law of God to their children. Deuteronomy 6 says, you shall teach them diligently. You shall teach your children diligently and shall talk of them, talk of the law of God when you sit in your house. And you shall talk of the law of God, his word, when you walk by the way. And you shall talk about the law of God, his word, when you lie down. And you should talk about the law of God, God's word, when you rise. The point to that kind of text is you should talk about the word of God all the time. This language of walking a path, sitting, standing, sleeping, lying down, put it on your doorpost. It's a way, it's a characterization of your life. It's a pattern of your life. This language of walking down a path was common amongst the Jewish audience. The Old Testament contrasts things like a way of wisdom with a way of folly in the book of Proverbs. That's how you should think about your own life and your own knowledge and your own increasing knowledge of God. You should ask yourself and we should ask ourselves, is my life characterized? Is it characterized by a pattern of increasing in the knowledge of God? Is your life defined by the pathway that's listening to God, that's loving God, that's expanding and abiding? Is your knowledge of God increasing? This is why we preach the Bible, because you don't need good advice like you need the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God comes through his own self-revelation in his word. Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God are interconnected. Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God form a kind of virtuous 
cycle in our lives. When you meet Jesus, you're transformed in an instant from a diseased tree into a good tree. And then you start to bear fruit. And because you love Jesus, your desire to increase in the knowledge of God grows. And then that knowledge has an effect on you and more fruit comes out of it over and over and over again. It's like the cycle of rain and growth in the natural world. It sinks down deep into your heart and produces more good works. Truly increasing in understanding and knowledge of God will necessarily coincide with good results. And those results, those results might not be painless. In fact, Scripture tells us that the more you know God, the more pain you might experience. Scripture and tradition Definitely testify to that. But those results will be good as the scriptures define goodness. Third, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits endurance and exhibits patience. Paul's praying that these Christians would be strengthened and he's praying that they would be strengthened for a purpose. And that twofold purpose is to be strong to endure and to be strong to be patient. I'll talk about both of those. But first, walking, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord takes endurance. It takes endurance. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus takes spiritual stamina. It takes fortitude. You can't be flimsy. You can't be complacent or idle or indifferent or apathetic. You have to have a backbone and you have to be persistent and you have to have godly grit. And Paul's praying that kind of endurance for these people. He's praying that they would be strengthened for the sake of not giving up. Endurance is essential in the Christian life, and it's essential because things in your life are going to be hard. It's going to be hard to love your enemies. It's going to be hard to bless people who only want to persecute you. It's going to be hard to forgive certain people in your life who have harmed you. It's going to be hard to love and sacrifice even for the people you love the most, your own family. And if it isn't hard right now, it's going to be right around the corner. That's why we need strength. We need strength to endure. It's going to be hard to endure what the Colossians have to endure. And that's false teaching. It will test us. It will exhaust you. It will challenge you and you need strength to keep after it. In the day that you discover, in the day that you discover that your faithful kind of plotting has turned into faithful trudging, you need strength to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you need strength for patience. If you didn't need strength for patience, then Paul wouldn't have prayed it. 
Paul doesn't pray inconsequential things. He doesn't pray for things that are take it or leave it kinds of things. We should encounter his prayers and say to ourselves, oh man, I probably need that if he took time to pray that for this church. Just like these folks needed it then, we need it now because we face all the same kinds of obstacles and all the same kinds of challenges as they did. As Christians, we need to increase in our capacity to be patient, to be patient with delay, to be patient with trouble, to be patient with suffering, to be patient without getting angry or without getting upset. And I want you all to be encouraged this morning because even owning, even just taking ownership over that kind of a posture and taking a posture of a goal to be patient or a desire to have a fruitful life, a desire to live in a way that's, that's worthy of the Lord, even just taking on that posture is evidence of a transformed tree. It's evidence of a transformed heart. Your very desire to do this is evidence that God's at work in you. When you notice the gap in your life between where you are and where you want to be, the gap in your sanctification, the gap in your faithfulness to Jesus between where you are and where you want to be, when you become aware of that, it's a spirit-wrought kind of awareness and understanding. So be encouraged and be strengthened this morning and don't quit because, because you're not alone. You're not alone. Look at verse 11 again. Paul prays that you would be strengthened with what? With all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and all patience. That's the thing. The power that you have to have, the power as a Christian that you have to have to endure, the power that's required to keep going because it's really hard, the power to meet hostility with patience, the power that you need that isn't optional but is essential to progress, the power that you need comes from the living God himself. And that's huge. So when you're squaring up, When you're squaring up to the challenges in your life and your enemy is whispering in your ear that you don't have what it takes, you can take a deep breath and say, you're right, I don't have what it takes. You can say with the apostle, who is sufficient for these things? And the rhetorical answer is, not us, not me. The answer to the question, who can do this, is I can't. Who's sufficient to be able to love people who slander them? Who's sufficient to take a beating and not fight back? Who's sufficient to pray for those who are, pu- who are pu- persecuting them? Who's sufficient to pray for forgiveness for your very own enemies? Who's sufficient to love in the face of harsh criticism? Who? None of us is the answer. Who can endure in a day of persecution or trouble or just a constant kind of dripping faucet of the challenges of life? And the answer is not us. Who's sufficient to endure? Who's sufficient to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? 
Not us. But that's why Paul prays this prayer. That's why he gives you all power according to his glorious might. Because you need a lot of help. I need a lot of help if we're going to make it to the end. And making it to the end is what endurance and patience is for. And that's why Paul says elsewhere, I worked harder than everybody. I worked harder than everybody, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working through me. It's why he says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling because it's God at work in you, both to will and to work for his very own good pleasure. It's why Paul, man, it's why God tells Paul when Paul prays and pleads and begs him to remove the thorn from his flesh and God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Is there somebody in here that's weak today? It's okay. God's glory is made glorious in that weakness. Fourth, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord exhibits joyful gratitude. Giving thanks to the Father with joy. Thanksgiving is all over the writings of Paul and the rest of the New Testament. Gratitude shows on the outside what's going on on the inside. Gratitude shows the world our dependence on God. Gratitude demonstrates humility. Gratitude demonstrates a manner of life, a way of walking, a posture of your heart. Thankfulness to God is good fruit. And this exhortation and prayer for thankfulness just, just mentioned two things that we tend to struggle with or at times we even despise. We're tempted to encounter difficult situations and many times we're tempted to just grind our teeth or bite our tongue or grin and bear it. And it's texts like these that help stoke our imaginations and stoke our vision for a better situation. We see a better way in the scriptures than just white knuckling it. I believe that there's places in the scriptures that connect joy and suffering. And those are really important because it reminds us that joy is not inconsistent with trudging. Joy is not inconsistent with difficulty. Joyful, patient endurance is not inconsistent with the challenges and the persecution and the hardships in your life. Whatever attitude that comes over you when you're experiencing difficulty, whatever, whatever struggle, whatever consternation and frustration that just automatically kind of washes over you as you encounter situations that require grit and tenacity, whatever ways that you're tempted to walk through those moments, texts like this remind us, remind us that faithfulness doesn't have to be inconsistent with gratitude and joy and thanksgiving, even in the midst of the hardest struggles of our lives. A thankful heart isn't impossible, even when you're in the grip of crushing difficulty. James tells us to, James tells us to consider it pure joy. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds. Hey, can I just ask, why on earth would anybody do that? Right? What gives? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds because, 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 because you know that trials test your faith and prove that it's real and make it stronger. The trials in your life make you steadfast. Let me ask, is anyone in this room a different person than they were two years ago? Different person than they were three years ago. Because the circumstances in your life, you aren't stronger than you were in your faith or in your faithfulness to God in spite of those circumstances, but because of those difficult circumstances. All the trials, all the challenges, what they do is they sow steadfastness in the soil of your heart. Paul's praying that these Christians would be full of strength, the strength of God himself to endure and to be patient and to thank their father with a joyful heart because they know, they know that he's a good father who loves them. They know that he's up to something, that he's taking them through difficult circumstances so that they're able to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. If you find yourself today sort of like faking gratitude because you think it's the, it's the Christian way to behave or because you want to look holy, but you know that inside your heart's just full of bitterness or it's full of judgment or it's full of resentment or anger or jealousy or envy, the answer in that moment isn't to give up. It isn't to give up. The answer is to repent of that internal hypocrisy and pray for the power to be genuinely grateful, genuinely thankful. Cast your vision higher today and ask for the faith to walk through challenges, believing, believing in faith that it's going to be worth it. Because your father's changing you. Your father's transforming you. Your father's maturing you so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that's what we're after. That's, that's what Paul's praying for these Christians. He's laboring in prayer for this kind of bearing fruit. He's laboring in prayer for this kind of increasing knowledge. He's asking God for strengthening from God himself for these people with the goal that these Christians would possess endurance and demonstrate patience. And he's praying for them to have this kind of joy-filled thankfulness and gratitude because these qualities will change the dynamics of how you live. And you'll live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that means two immensely important things that we need to think about before we close today. There's two implications that I want to leave us with as we round the corner to close. The first one is for us to live a life, live a life whose sole focus is pleasing God. And the second one is to pray proactive, offensive prayers. The prayer that 
Paul prays, the, the prayers that he prays are directed toward a goal. His prayers terminate beyond merely the fruit of these people's lives. He loves these people and he wants all kinds of good for them because he wants them to live a life that's pleasing to God. And that's what we want to be about. We are not about pleasing anybody else but God at this church. Not ourselves, not our own ideas, not our critics, not our customers, not anybody else but the living God himself. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord isn't actually an end in and of itself. It doesn't stop there. The purpose, the goal is to live a life that pleases God. Living a life with the sole focus of pleasing God. Living life for an audience of one person is the kind of life you want to live because it's the only life worth living. That means we'll have to battle against pleasing ourselves. That means we'll have to fight really hard against the temptation to just please everybody else around us. That means we'll have to face struggles and tests and challenges. We'll need God's power to do it. We'll need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. We'll need each other, the body of Christ, to do it. And then lastly, lastly, pray offensive, proactive, big, aggressive prayers for this church and for your friends and for your family. How often in our lives do we only pray kind of reactive prayers? How often do we find ourselves praying prayers related to crisis or disappointment or unmet expectations? How often do we find ourselves praying when we find that someone's life is burning to the ground or maybe our own life is burning to the ground or maybe because we finally got caught? How often do we find ourselves praying when our marriage is in trouble? But here, the apostle prays that these Christians would be filled with all the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding before he ever gets to their actions and behaviors. The kind of spiritual skills needed to live the thriving, flourishing Christian life are skill sets and understandings that are wrought by the Spirit of God himself. You don't have what it takes but God promises to give us what we need for today. And Paul prays this way constantly, constantly. If you don't know what to pray for your wife or your kids or your roommates or your friends or your coworkers, pray these kinds of prayers. Pray that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. Fill them with spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Pray that they would bear fruit. Pray that they would increase in the knowledge of God. Pray that they would be strengthened for endurance and patience. Pray that they would be full of joyful thanksgiving. Pray that they would love the Bible. Pray that they would obey the word of truth. Pray that they would believe the gospel in a deeper way. That the word would dwell inside them richly and bring forth the fruit of a life that's lived, that's worthy of the Lord. In my life, those are the kind of prayers I pray all the time. 
I pray for my wife and kids to love the Bible. I pray for them to be convicted of sin. I pray for wisdom and spiritual understanding for you and for this church. And I pray for spiritual and wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding for everyone in the room so that we as a church can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord because that's the life that pleases God. So this morning, I want us to do that through the kind of like last movement of our service as we come to take communion. I want you to, to this morning reflect on your life, reflect on what's going on inside your heart, reflect on who you are aiming to please in your life and come to the table. Come to the table if you're broken down. Come to the table this morning if you're weak. Come to the table this morning if you're strong and help hold up the weak. Come to the table this morning to repent, to reorient your life, to refocus it around the only person worth living for, which is God himself. That Redeemer, the way we practice the Lord's Supper is we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into a cup. The stoneware cups are wine and the glassware is juice. There'll be three stations, two down here in front of me and one in the balcony. And then we'll have an additional one over here to my left that is gluten-free and single serve. Also, after every service, we have prayer ministers that pray with anybody here who wants prayer over here underneath this stained glass window to my left. Before we receive communion, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 to remind us what the Lord Jesus Christ himself told us we were doing when we participate in the sacrament. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Him we proclaim. Christ we proclaim. And as we come forward and take communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. To the watching world and to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to strengthen our faith, to stir and stoke our zeal, and to convict us and help us to repent of areas in our life that we're aiming to please others instead of God himself. So I'm going to pray for us and the servers are going to come forward and the musicians are going to come back up. Would you all join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that your love it doesn't let us stay where we are. Would you, Holy Spirit, enable the people in this room to see the sin in their hearts or just even to see the things that, are, that they're tangled up in that distract them from living a life that's oriented towards you and you alone? 
For those of us that know, that know that there's places in our lives that we aren't living in a way that honors you or in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, free us from that, Spirit of God. Set us free to follow and enjoy you in all faith and godliness and obedience. Convict us and free us. Give us repentant hearts. Strengthen the weak. Convict the proud. And strengthen and bolster the faith of everybody in this room, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can come forward whenever you're ready.